0: the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions. I am Renee Paquette. Thank you for coming to hang out yet again, week in, week out, cranking out the episodes. Have you guys noticed that we've actually added another episode during the week that's like a best of? A little hot take on all the action. I mean, we're cranking out all these killer interviews. We're kind of taking the highlights, mashing them together, and dropping new episodes on your asses on Saturdays. Um, So you guys can get more ears on the condensed versions, if you like, A a little mishmash. Um, so today on Oral Sessions, I am joined by none other than Paul Bissonnette. We've deviated outside of the wrestling world, outside of the fight world, kind of. I mean, he is a fourth line bruiser, formerly known as anyways. Um, but Paul Bissonnette, he's one of the hosts on and Chicklets on Barstool. Uh, Tim, Ryan, Whitney, these two break down all the things going on in the world of hockey from a perspective that makes hockey fun to listen to. As a huge hockey fan growing up in Canada and appreciating the intricacies of this fine sport, I feel like it can often be viewed as just being a little bit boring and dull. And these guys don't get to have big personalities and blah, blah, blah. But then you've got a guy like Paul Bissonette who has just made the most of what he's been given. I mean, tapping into the media world, being a part of Spit and Chicklets to what these guys have been able to do. I mean, it is the most listened to hockey podcast in the world, they have an insane fan base. They get an insane amount of downloads and listens every single week. So, kudos to these guys. I mean, they have created their own little hockey media empire and a booze empire. I feel like I could learn a lot from these guys. I want my own booze brand. Come on. And there's just kind of haphazardly happened. They, they fell into it. The story is all in there about creating Pink Whitney. If you guys have, have had this, to like pink lemonade vodka, it's amazing. But anyways, you guys are going to really love this conversation. Paul was great. I mean, he's such a big personality. We talk about his life in Phoenix. We talk about his life on the ice, off the ice, things that he's up to, some of the social anxieties that he's dealt with throughout his career. What it's like being the guy that's relied upon to go and punch dudes in the face on the ice that can start to have a a tall order on somebody. A lot of pressure. We cover a ton of things. He was really open. Just a lot of fun to hang out with. I think you guys are going to really like this and make sure to check out all things Paul Bissonnette. He's a hell of a dude. Let's get into it. And here he is, Paul Bissonnette on Oral Sessions. Paul Bissonnette, what's up?
1: I like how we kick it off like that. I don't like the the big fancy intros sometimes.
0: I do that later. I do that when no one else is listening because then it's like you're rattling off a million things because I hate when people do that to me because I interrupt the whole time. I'm like, oh yeah. And this like it's <laughs> I can never just get through a clean or, opening. Or you
1: looked at my Wikipedia and there weren't that many accomplishments. <laughs> so you're, let's just roll right into it. <laughs>
0: Actually, no. First of all, I do most of my uh, research on Wikipedia and there's yep. some interesting stuff about you on there. Lots oh, of stuff.
1: Oh, great. Looking forward to that. <laughs>
0: yeah, here's the, my biggest uh, note right off the top, though. This um, Hudson Bay Company blanket behind you, Canada represent.
1: Yeah, that was actually a gift from Erica Nardini. She oh, sent nice. me, yeah, that was a Christmas gift. She's been awesome. I mean, of course, an incredible CEO and uh, just an unbelievable person and an insane motor. Every day she's waking up doing a million things and and, and growing Barstool to the size it is now and uh, just an amazing person.
0: You can tell that she's just such a no bullshit kind of chick, which I appreciate. I and mean, just like everything she, you know, that she's doing for for hockey and women's hockey in particular. Yeah. We'll get into all that stuff, but yeah, she seems cool as all hell. Big fan,
1: and she's very thoughtful in her gift giving as well. And she, I just had my birthday uh, last week, and she sent a couple of nice bottles of wine over too. So Ooh. she's uh, yeah, this she likes uh, she likes to shower us with gifts. This is awesome.
0: Those are the friends to have. None of my friends do that shit. What the hell? No one gives <laughs> me anything.
1: Yeah. I just, uh, I have a hard time remembering people's birthdays. If it wasn't for social media, I would have no
0: clue. 100%. Um, okay. So yeah, it was just your birthday. Happy birthday. What are you, 36?
1: 36 years old. Yeah. Still trying to figure this thing out.
0: <laughs> what did you do for your birthday?
1: Nothing. I got a lot of my partying and, and uh, craziness in life out of the way early on. And, uh, we just had a big road trip as far as spitting chicklets in order to bank interviews and, and, uh, and some, some content, which is kind of a, a, a new word in the world. That's been popping up a lot. Um, and I got home and I just got to relax with my girlfriend and my dog. So it's, it's been kind of a yin and yang type of life so far where I got all the partying out of the front end and now I'm going to get all the work and, and relaxing done on the back end.
0: That's the way to do it, though. I feel like you've kind of mastered that craft of like, you know, being on the road, playing hockey to then like the career that you're settling into now. I mean, you're really managing it quite well. I mean, really, obviously better. No offense to anybody else, but like way better than any other NHL player, like crushing it
1: yeah, I just, like I said, I'm just trying to trying to find a way to to grow up here. i'm thirty six years old and uh, and now that that the podcast has taken on a mind of its own, it's just I've kind of adapted this responsibility, but it but it's been fun. you know it's 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 fun to put a lot of time and energy to something and, and see the rewards and benefits from it. And it's opened up so many fun doors where I've got to experience all these amazing things. And, and I would credit that to hockey as well. Like, I don't think I've ever been over to Europe unless it was to play hockey in either some tournament or at the NHL Premier Games. And, and you know, I'm, I'm very grateful being from a small town in, in Canada and getting to live out my dream playing in the National Hockey League. And then, of course, uh, what's happened post-career as well.
0: Well, I mean, you say very lucky to be, you know, you grew up in Welland, Ontario. Shout out to Welland. I grew up in Ajax, Ontario. Ajax,
1: okay, there you go.
0: (laughs) But I feel like growing up, we all knew someone that made it to the show. We all know an NHL player. I mean, that is like the stereotypical Canadian thing of like, oh, I know so-and-so, or this person's playing in the OHL or the ECHL. Like we, it's, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, pretty standard, especially in in Ontario, right? I, I believe there's what? Five thousand rinks in North America. A thousand of them are in Ontario, but uh, <laughs> as far probably probably twenty in Ajax. Uh, Wellens Honestly. got the, the main arena and the youth arena. Although um, I mentioned, I always say I'm fortunate and lucky during the period of time where I was coming up in, in my minor hockey league career. We had such unbelievable coaches every, and you know how you change coaches every year or two years, right? We had a coach, Mark a uh, lawyer. He passed away recently. God rest his soul. He would pay money out of his own pocket to rent us ice or line up exhibition games against teams in Buffalo so we could continually develop our skills. And during this period of time, there was a window of about five years. We had seven NHLers. We had Matt Ellis, Dan Girardi, who just retired, who had a wonderful career, Cal Clutterbuck, who's still playing with the Islanders. Uh, Dan Pai, who played with Boston, who ended up winning a Stanley Cup and getting to bring it back home. Jamie Tardiff, Nathan Horton, Andre DeVoe. So it was just this, uh, you know, this period of time where, where our hometown had such great coaches. And and I said, we, we were able to develop and, and get to live out our dreams.
0: It's so crazy when you think back to like those times and like, whether it was like parents or coaches or whatever, cause playing hockey is not cheap. I mean, getting equipment Buying skates, pads, all that, and like when there's kids that just can't afford that. But I always feel like parents came together to make sure that those kids got taken care of.
1: Yeah, whether you were convoying all the, you know, everyone pack in one car, and yeah, it's, uh, and and that's the one thing that I think that. Uh, it, overall in Canada has gotten even progressively more expensive, especially in order to keep up with the trends of, of the skill development, man. Yeah. And, and it, unfortunately, it does alienate a lot of great athletes, but I think that right now the mind frame is, is that they're trying to find ways in order to make it more accessible to everyone, not just people, you know, who have parents who have enough money in order to see them be successful at that sport.
0: The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA InPlay, so the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA InPlay is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA InPlay today. Okay, so very important question to you. How many ringette games have you been to?
1: I don't think I've ever been to one. What? Yeah, no, I never, I've never curled either. And they have a curling club right next to the main arena in Welland as well. So yeah, for all the Canadians out there, they're probably shaking their heads who are listening to this, being like this guy, this guy isn't actually Canadian.
0: Well, that one hurts my soul because I'm constantly, I played ring at growing up and nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about ever. They're like, well, it's like field hockey. I'm like, no, it's still on ice. It's a blue ring. Nobody ever knows. And unfortunately you just didn't back me up on it. So that sucks.
1: Do you think that if women's hockey would have been as popular as now, because it's continuing to grow, it's, it's, you know, it's taking on a mind of its own, which is great to see. Do you think that you would have ended up playing women's hockey if that was the case, or did you actually enjoy ringette more?
0: I enjoyed ringette more, but it's because more of my girlfriends were playing it at the time. So I started playing hockey as an adult. Like once I hit like 18, 19, I was like, my ringette career is winding down. I'm like, well, I might as well go play in like some women's leagues. Cause there wasn't a ton of women's leagues to play at the level that I was playing at. So I was like, well, I'll go play hockey. Cause I can't stick handle for shit. <laughs>
1: hey, me neither. Maybe I should have played ringette. <laughs> <laughs> I missed out.
0: Yeah, (laughs) It could have been for you. Um, Okay. Enough about ringette. Okay. So getting into commentary for you, once you joined doing commentary, what was that whole thing like for you? I mean, to jump in and do color commentary is no easy feat by any stretch. I mean, whether you're a talker or not, it's hard as shit.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got definitely got to find your cadence and, and when you can hop in or not. I started out on radio with the coyotes and I was also doing television on the broadcast as well, like the pre and post game, which helped me warm me up to get me more comfortable to get my reps in. But given the fact that while I was playing, I started Twitter and social media and it had opened up all these social media platform and doors, I did become more comfortable at speaking publicly and in, in front of the camera. Although, as you said there, I did have my early struggles as to you know what should be said, preparation, when I should be hopping in. Fortunately for me, I had a, a great play-by-play announcer and Bob Heathouse who took me under his wing with the Coyotes and just made me feel very comfortable in that role. One tough thing about when I first started with the Coyotes though, that first year I hopped into the booth. I don't think we won a game in our first 20 games. You
0: run out of shit to say at that point.
1: Well that, and and I'm a former player who I play with the Coyotes and I've played with half the guys on the team. And the last thing I want to do is be critical and I'll never forget, finally, we were headed to get our first win. It was in Philadelphia. We were up 2 nothing. Well, they pulled a goalie with about a minute and a half, two minutes left, and they get one. And so it's like, okay, that's all right. We're good here. You know, we'll, we'll settle down, maybe call a timeout well sure enough they end up tying it up and i just completely froze on the call where i was <laughs> so devastated and i didn't want to be negative and and i w- i looked at him and I, as a heater i i don't even really know what to say right now and and then he took over the call and and you know finally we ended up winning in overtime thank god and that was like the first game we'd won but uh i really struggled with the aspect of trying to keep my credibility but yet not being too critical of the guys because i i was still like going out to eat with some of them uh, and, 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 you know, there, there was finding that balance, but other than that and, and finding my cadence, you know, it, it took a little bit of time, but finally I warmed up and, and I became more comfortable at it.
0: That was always a thing. So I did commentary for WWE on Monday night raw and same thing. It's like you're friends with all these people and you want, yeah, it's like that fine line of credibility. So you know what you're talking about. So you don't get roasted by everybody that's watching the broadcast and all that, but not having your friends. Fucking hate you by the end of it.
1: And exactly that is that you might say something and it might be interpreted by them the wrong way. And you know how hard it could be, yes. you know, being under the radar all the time. And all of a sudden you might say something that might trigger someone and they might be upset in a corner. And next thing you know, you, you know, you have a bit of a, a riff going on and you know, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. And I'd imagine given the fact that you gave it thought, yeah. you're probably a sensitive person as well too. And that's like the last thing that I'd want to do, even, even in some cases as well on our podcast, I swear a lot. And that I'm just a, I'm a small town Canadian guy that, um, um, F this off. I,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Can, can you swear on this podcast? All the time. Too much. That was another problem early on too. I tried to tone it back, but all of a sudden you go from, from the podcast to this corporate brand where I all of a sudden have to throw the filter in. And there's been cases too, where it's messed with me to a point where Todd Walsh, who does the pregame has thrown it over. And I'm so worried about saying the wrong thing. I'm like, Todd, I completely forgot what I was going to say there and have to throw it right back over to him. So similar to the play-by-play guy in the radio booth, but I definitely had my struggles early on for sure.
0: So doing commentary for WWE and like, I, it was just such a different thing for me going from being like a TV host where you're like talking long format to doing commentary and being like, oh, you can only jump in at this spot in this spot. And these, you can't just have a conversation. It doesn't work that way. But hockey night in Canada, they were here in Las Vegas and like, hey, do you want to come call a bit of like a period? I was like, fuck, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: But it was the drizzling shits. It was so bad. My husband's there and my mom's there. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. They're trying to team me up. It was easily the most stressed out I've been. I've been doing TV for a long time. I was sweating buckets. It's hockey night in Canada. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah. You, sh- you should have took on like the Snoop Dogg approach to it and just started being like, whoa, what's going on here? Yes. And just ripped up, ripped a huge blunt and, and just let, let it fly off the cuff. Who knew
0: that <laughs> Snoop Dogg was like the king of commentary? Like- I mean, yeah, I guess we all should have seen that coming, but he's incredible.
1: With the, the wrestling aspect of it, do you have an idea in like a layout of, of how all the matches are going to go already before the night even begins? Or is that something just the wrestlers have an idea of?
0: So it depends. There's certain times that I wouldn't want to know so that I can have a natural reaction to it. But if it's part of somebody's storyline and I kind of need to know in terms of like, Whether you're going to build someone up or you're going to be like talking shit about them, depending on whether they're going to win or they're going to lose. It's so much different storytelling rather than calling a a straight sport where you are calling what you see. You don't have to really worry about what the storylines are or what the outcome is going to be. You can just call what you see. For us, we've got like heels and baby faces, the good guys and the bad guys. So like if one of the other color commentators was like burying one of the baby faces, I then have to protect them. So you're thinking in like all these different ways to like, to make the storytelling make sense. It's very confusing.
1: So there's good and evil on both sides, even as far as commentary as well.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So we're all just playing roles.
1: I haven't followed it in in a while, but with with the people that they're perceiving to be, because it's, I don't want to say it's acting, but it kind of is to a certain regard. Uh, When you roll back the curtains, are there a lot of egos involved in the wrestling world?
0: Not as much as you would think. And because they're all these like larger than life characters, It's just a bunch of people that bust their ass. Like wrestling, obviously wrestling is hard, but it's the grind of it of like, you know, there's not the frills to wrestling that there are with either whether you're an actor or you're an athlete, like athletes generally get paid more than wrestlers get paid, but we're on the road 365 days a year, basically never stops. No off seasons staying in hotels. We're getting our own rental cars and driving from town to town. We don't get the fancy shit like you guys get. So I think that is where a lot of like the humbling comes from.
1: I also look at the uh, wrestling. Like I feel like it went similar to ho- the hockey world where, you know, in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of drinking going on after the, but where now it's, it's very professional, you know, protein shakes, everybody's lifting and on this very serious, because there's so much money to be made now.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Like, even like I spent eight years in WWE. And from the time that I started, it was still a lot of like, oh, meet me down at the bar afterwards. We'll all hang. We'll order some food, drink, show up to work the next day, like hungover. And as I started to wind down there, it wasn't like that at all anymore. People are like... No one's mailing it in at all. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely people have like cleaned up their act.
1: And especially to stay consistent as you have to travel and handle all that stuff on your own, it would be easy to fall into that rhythm as those guys in the past probably did. Whereas, you know, when you're getting into a city late after having to go, you know, rent a car or whatever, maybe book your own hotel, you still got to get up in the morning, get your lifts in, eat properly. And oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sim- very similar to the hockey world and how serious the guys are.
0: And learning from like, you see some of the older guys, I mean, whether, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but it's like, you see the older guys that are like hobbling around a little more. And like, I think that's the thing that's really eye opening to being like, Hey, maybe we should like take care of our bodies a little bit more and not treat them like it's fucking wonderland, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not just chugging beers and every night (laughs) sniffing counters.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oral Sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Uh, Why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game. I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb, dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match up to 500 smackaroos when you make your first deposit. Just go to fanduel.com slash cowherd for more info. fanduel.com slash cowherd. FanDuel, more ways to win. Okay, so spit and chiclets, you guys are crushing it, obviously. I mean, that's it's insane. You guys are the number one hockey podcast in the world. What's the success to this? What what is the podcasting success? How do I break into this?
1: In our case, it was just very organic. I play with a guy, Ryan Whitney in Pittsburgh, and he, you know, he was retired and working at the NHL network. And I remember when we were on a PTO together in St. Louis, we talked about uh, doing some type of, uh, I remember the original idea was something on YouTube where we would have show up with the hockey bags into a locker room and we would start getting dressed, but we would never actually go on the ice and we would just crack beers. And would let these old stories fly. And I didn't even know what podcasts were. So after that PTO, I ended up going to finish off my career in the American League. He went over to Russia quickly and then retiring, as I mentioned. And he fired out a tweet saying, hey, how about starting a podcast towards me and another guy we played with, Kobe Armstrong. And I was still playing at the time. And and I knew that if I was going to hop on one, I would let it fly. And I didn't, I knew the LA Kings organization was not going to be down. with the They banned there. your
0: Twitter, didn't they?
1: No, that was actually my agent who called them and <laughs> told me to, he's like, delete your Twitter account, whatever that even means. Because he was like, what is Twitter? He's like, nothing good can come of this. That's the only thing he's ever been wrong on, by the way. Shout out Mark guy uh, of Newport <laughs> Sports. but. Rear Admiral, one of our co-hosts, he was one of the hockey bloggers. He reached out to it and he's like, Hey, I'll start one with you. So they started doing it together. Just the two of them. And RA was actually editing it and acting as producer. And they did about 20 episodes. Then Dave Portnoy reached out to Ryan Whitney, asked them, Hey, would you want to come on our platform? They joined up so it was just the two of them rear admiral gets an email one day from some kid named Mike Grinnell saying, Hey, if you guys need a producer, I have a mixing board. He saw the email ignored it because he had his own at the time and he was doing it just fine. And it wasn't at the size of, as it is now. And sure enough about a week later, they're recording one of their podcasts and RA's mixer breaks. And he went back to that email and reached out to Mike Grinnell, who is now our producer, runs all of our social media. He was a kid when he started, and he's grown immensely as far as how much he's helped build it in his ways, merchandise, whatever it may be. And- When I retired, I said, hey, let me settle into my coyotes job and let's talk about me joining up. And sure enough, at the end of my first year in media, I'd already been interviewed a couple of times for the show. And I let it fly in my early days, like telling insane stories, which I probably wouldn't say now.
0: (laughs) Ah. Got to clean up your act a little bit. Too many yeah, eyes. And
1: and I think the overall line of social standard has moved. And and, and luckily, I've been able to adapt with it. Um, I'm, I'm flirting it. I mean, they're still trying to, you know, they're trying to cancel me, but I'm, I'm flirting it.
0: Yeah, you got to hold on strong. I actually remember, you probably don't remember this, but we met back in probably like 2000. 2000- Nine or 10 when I was working for the score and we were doing Gillette Drafted, and you came oh, in. That's but I, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a long time ago.
1: There was another uh, wrestling uh, girl and she moved Jackie. on. Ja- Jackie Redmond. I was drawing a blank there who's moved on. She's the on. best. She's awesome. And she's, you know, same great motor, works extremely hard. And I remember interviewing with her as well. And then just to finalize it, it went from, you know, around 40,000, 50,000 downloads an episode to now between YouTube and, and our podcast platforms, about 600 thousand downloads per episode. So it just took on a mind of its own. And and the whole basis is just opening up all hockey fans to the old school stories and and getting great one-on-one interactions with these amazing personalities and and, and characters of the game. So it's, I'm I'm extremely grateful and and it's been a fun ride. And we also do a ton of video stuff as well. We do sandbaggers and and golf content. It's, it's been crazy.
0: Do you ever have a hard time interviewing nhl players because i feel like there's always that stigma of like it's hard to get nhl players to open up and get them to talk and get their personalities to shine it's got to be different for you because you know all these guys i mean when i have wrestlers on it's so easy because i know them all i know all their dirt i know all their shit is it the same for you when you have hockey players on
1: yeah, the, the current players, uh, they get nervous. I understand why, because every single thing they say, if it's taken out of context, but I'll say that's why the guys like coming on our platform to give the most, because it's long form. It's not just a, a, a little... Tweet with one line that they said where people can spout off where it is taken out of context. But yes, the younger guys are a little bit more difficult. Where the older retired guys who you know they don't have to deal with the pressures of of, of dealing with their names being in the media, other than of course our podcast, they come on and they let it fly. We just had Brent Sutter on, who's now coaching in, in Red Deer. And he owns a the team there. And he was telling these old school tales that, that had people's jaws on the floor like it was like it was when dinosaurs were roaming the earth.
0: Well, I saw the one highlight from that, that what he made his whole team use only wooden sticks for a month or something.
1: Yeah. So he came from an era where there was bench brawls every other game and uh, they had a very good team. And they, they I think they went on to win the Memorial Cup that year. You know, they were playing a little soft and I don't think they were being as accountable as he'd liked. So he, he had his trainer go out and buy 24 wood sticks. And it kind of leads back to you talking about the synergies. This is when all the synergies had taken over these one pieces. So these kids are, you know, flying around, you know, playing a little bit of a softer game. And he said, his trainer, he goes, go to the local hockey shop, get 24 wood sticks. So they played the first period of that, that next game and they were still in that little funk that they'd been in, not playing well. So he came in after the first period. Went around, grabbed every guy's one piece stick one by one. So they're probably in their heads wondering like, what's going on right here? Well, then he comes back in the room after walking out with all their one pieces. He drops all the wood sticks in the middle of the room. He says, you guys are using this from now on. They each got one wood stick and they had to make it last. And he said that they ended up coming back winning seven, three, that game.
0: Old school, baby.
1: They scored seven unanswered with the wood sticks. They had to put white tape on the blade and write work on the front and sharpie and on the back and sharpie. And uh, he made them use those sticks for the next month. And he said, I don't think they lost the game.
0: I love old school shit like that.
1: They started selling mini sticks in the pro shop that had the white tape and had work written on it. It was the highest selling item they had in the store. And he said, every kid in town had one.
0: Nothing better than being in like a hotel tournament and everyone's just like ripping around with yeah, mini your sticks. Your knees are all burned out <laughs> yeah.
1: and your shin pads hurt to put on because yeah. you're you know, even playing mini sticks till <laughs> one in the morning because you're drinking Coke.
0: <laughs> yeah. Straight up Coke, like a million calories, all sugar. So bad. Uh, speaking of, uh, we've got Pink Whitney. So that was another thing that just like blew up for you guys. I mean, I know you talk about this stuff all the time. This is nothing new to you, but for a wrestling fan base that's listening to this, I mean, that was also just that organic thing where you guys were talking about what you mix your new Amsterdam vodka with. And now you've sold what, over 15 million bottles of this vodka?
1: Yeah, it took on a mind of its own. And I'm still in shock that it blew up as much as it did. And the crazy part about it is it's also though grown past people who just listen to the podcast florida is one of our biggest states i know hockey has grown florida there Florida likes to party florida likes to have a good time and 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 given the fact that covid basically didn't even exist in florida when it was going no, on they
0: I, they ignored it entirely yeah, it was
1: business as usual so it's it's popped <laughs> off in all these places where where hockey isn't even really that prevalent and uh and the, the yeah the flavored vodka market has has also popped off so we're uh we're going to continue trying to grow that and and also expand in different product development and and we'll see where else it goes.
0: How is it playing in those like non hockey markets? I mean, even just me seeing the growth of the Golden Knights here in Las Vegas, now we're getting our own AHL team literally around the corner from my house. I'm so fucking excited to go to these games. What is it like being, oh, I guess, I mean, you've not been in that situation per se, but when you go in and play in some of those other markets.
1: I played five years in Phoenix, right?
0: Well, guess, yeah, Phoenix is not a big hockey town. Yeah.
1: No, it's not a traditional market. Now, mind you, it may be in a couple of cases it has popped off like Vegas, but I think it's awesome to see. They've established themselves, I think, as the best fans in the league, and they've only been in the league for three years now. I think that what they did in preparation, in the way that they rolled it out and made it Vegas-like, it is so unique in its own regard. I am not shocked as to how the popularity has popped off. And I'm looking forward to getting there with our whole Chicklets crew in order to, to demonstrate the fanatics and the fan base and some of the people that are sitting lower bowl.
0: You guys need to come, like, set up here. You guys should, like, take over one of the casinos and just, like, that would be awesome.
1: We're coming in May. Oh we hell argue, yes! Argue, yeah so so hopefully we can link up and, and I'm maybe gonna, I I like, have i'm
0: coming down i'm coming on the podcast like it's done. happening and then
1: maybe your husband can slam me through a mat or something
0: done and done I, I so i've been trying to get him to be a bigger hockey fan he's from cincinnati and he like it's it's just so funny to me how hockey in different pockets in the u.s is just not that popular like i don't understand what but but at the same time As soon as you get someone to come to a hockey game that's not been there, like, oh, this is my favorite sport to see live every time. That's the key.
1: That's the key is getting them in the building. Yeah. If anybody had not been a hockey fan and went and witnessed a game in that first year, the Golden Knights were there, they were begging somebody to buy season tickets. Yeah. It is the best atmosphere in town.
0: I'm so pissed. I did not buy those season tickets. I was like saying literally last night, because like growing up in Ontario, you cannot get season tickets to the Leafs. You have to be grandfathered into that. There's no other way to get them. So when it was available here, I was like, damn, we should have jumped on that. We did not. But now I feel like we got to jump on the AHL ones just for shits. Right.
1: Oh, it, it's definitely going to trickle down at the amount of people that probably can't get the seasons for the Golden Knights. But as far as Toronto's concerned, you basically have to give up your first newborn. I'm ready. It, oh, so that's why that's why you got one coming. So you get a few few lower bowl By seats. At, at, chip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, it's it's hard in Toronto too because you got all the suits in the lower bowl who are still you know doing key bumps and, and enjoying their cocktails halfway <laughs> through the period, and that's why it's you know half empty sometimes.
0: Key bumps. Uh, What is your favorite town to go play hockey in?
1: I would say as far as road trips were concerned, when I was playing with the Coyotes, I always loved going to Nashville. Hell
0: yes. I was hoping that's what you were going to say. I could feel that's what you were going to say.
1: Yeah, they, they have a, another wild, unique fan base. Hockey is completely grown in a non-traditional market. And it was always the, the town where you would get all the guys out together, especially the divide between the younger guys and older guys. When I, when I came in with the Coyotes, we had a, a group of younger guys where we would go to clubs and we would do, you know, go where the young girls were. You know, they were all married and they weren't interested in that, but going to these pubs or bars that had the live music, it was that was their type of atmosphere where I also enjoyed it. And it was fun interacting with these these teammates that you wouldn't get to see in those types of settings usually. We did a rookie party there one time. We would usually try to do a team dinner every time we went there. And Shane Doan was our captain. He's from uh, you know, Western Canada out in Alberta and he's a big you know, Western and country fan. He never drank, but when we went there, he'd usually have a few pops and and enjoy himself. So it was good seeing the whole crew.
0: Let it rip a little bit. Yeah, I always feel like, That seems like getting drafted to the Predators would be the way to go. You got to have your fingers crossed to end up in a town like that.
1: And also, not only are you getting an unbelievable fan base, but you could go out in the community and you're not getting mobbed like you would in Toronto or or really anywhere in Canada. So you have the great following, yet you have your privacy away from the rink. And it's funny, one time we went there and we were out partying and it might have even been our rookie party. We ended up seeing Tom Green.
0: Hell yes.
1: We became buddies. And, and every time he was in Phoenix doing live shows for co- his comedy tour, we would go and he he came over to a few after parties we had at uh, Wayne Gretzky's house. One time he was playing. the So it was cool meeting him. That was one of the, the coolest parts.
0: I have a lot of follow-ups to this whole story.
1: Hopefully I could put you guys in touch and you can get him on. He's an incredible interview.
0: I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show or not before. I think maybe I have, but, um, one of my early acting gigs, I'll put that in air quotes, acting gigs, um, was being in a Tom green music video, which one it's called teachers (laughs) suck. And I was, um, one of the bitches in autumn
1: leaves. (laughs) You were, you were uh, like a, like a video vixen before video (laughs) vixens. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh my god yes i was a video vixen i like had to jump up from behind this desk in like a bikini and like it's like slow like mo uh, you know what if, if my team could put that up right now while my pregnant ass is sitting here that would be a great time to plug that just to make me feel good about my glory days um but anyways tom green's amazing what is hanging out at Wayne Gretzky's house like?
1: His stuns were going to ASU at the time, and he was coaching here. The year that he didn't come back was my first year, and we had Dave Tippett as a coach. But the I believe the housing market had taken a pretty big hit here, so he wasn't going to sell his place. So one of my good friends now, Joey Superstein was living with the Gretzky boys as they were going to ASU. So they had this mansion and they were throwing parties every weekend. So given the lifestyle I was living back then, you know, I was right in the mix with that. So we, we were having a blast. And as I mentioned, Tom Green was doing a live comedy show here. He invited us to it. We went out with a bunch of teammates and then, went out afterward and then when he was done his second show ended up coming to the to the after hours party busted out the acoustic guitar i think he he played some of his classic like i should have
0: been there i could have jumped in yeah unleash the fury (laughs) (laughs) you know those hot takes you post on social media well now you can win up to five Thousand dollars when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over/Under, and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. So here's how it works: FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of five thousand dollars during every contest. FanDuel is the exclusive home for Over/Under. And it's available in all 50 states. You can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to Fanduel.com slash over under and sign up now. If you've not done so already, please just do it. You're going to love it. Just create a new Fanduel account. and If you don't already have one, it takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then you put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at Fanduel.com slash over under. They could be worth up to 5,000 bucks. Do it. Age and location restrictions apply. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. What happens at a rookie party?
1: The rookie parties is is a cool dynamic. And I was fortunate where we would get capped at five grand per rookie. And I think we had five rookies that year where you pay for the vets. You go to a very nice meal that usually the leadership group uh, lines up. They tend to beat up the credit cards. They'll make sure they get the fancy wine list and you're drinking Opus One. And sometimes they'll even stretch it out and go get a Screaming Eagle. They made me do a Texas prairie fire. I believe they called the shot. So it was Louis the 13th, which is I think a hundred bucks a shot. And they put Tabasco sauce in it. So I had to, I had to chug that down. Uh, Mine was in Chicago. We went to Gibson steakhouse. And then afterward you go to the nightclub or whatever, whatever party setting. Given that we had Shane Doan as the captain, a few of the cases, we we were a little m- more tame. I mentioned the one in Nashville and you you just do the, the dinner, you make all the rookies get up, tell stories during dinner, tell jokes, they boo you off stage. In some cases, they even make rookies dress up. We never had to dress up but it's just a great night to go enjoy with the boys midway through the season to blow a little steam off. You share some laughs. You talk about it the next day at the rink while you're getting bag skated, sweating out all the booze (laughs) and, and whatever else you consumed. The tough part is, is in some cases there's only one rookie. I've heard stories of, uh, Guys getting a bill racked up to about 30 grand where they.
0: On one dinner or is that like the club too?
1: dinner and club where they go a little Well, if
0: you're drinking that Opus and the Screaming Eagle, that's going to add up real quick. And then
1: you go pop bottles at a club. It's it it gets a little bit ridiculous sometimes. And and I I would never if I was a leader of of a team make a guy spend probably more than five grand.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's going to hit you hard unless they have a very promising career ahead of them. But otherwise... This
1: is probably because it was Ray Bork's kid and they knew that he has a pretty good trust fund coming towards him, given his old man made quite a bit. But uh, the son, Chris Bork, I want to say he got called up to Washington. But the worst part about it, he got called up for a few games when they had it and then he got sent down. So he lost money getting called up to the NHL (laughs) that time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy, damn. I mean, that is like a way classier kind of rookie party. I was expecting it to be like... You always hear those like tales of like hockey parties, like when we're in like high school and stuff. And you're like, is that for real? Is that true?
1: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, you know, the two way, the two way rubbers coming out and the, a few <laughs> girls in the mix. Yeah. Oh
0: my God. I'll, I'll try
1: to keep it classy, but yeah, that wasn't going on.
0: I mean, you don't have to keep it classy here. I don't give a shit, but I mean, you hear those stories all the time of like, Phew! but you guys are doing it classy. I appreciate it. It sounds nice.
1: Yeah. If you wanted to do that stuff, you had to go do it on your own. Not with, not on under Shane Doan's umbrella.
0: What are some of the uh, pressures that one feels being an enforcer in the NHL? Like that seems like a tall order to be like, Hey, you got to go out and like punch someone in the face. That's your gig.
1: Yeah. I had a hard time pregame napping, knowing games I was going to play, especially if I knew that, the other team had a heavyweight in the lineup. It didn't come natural to me. So I think that over the years it definitely took its toll mentally but I, I understood that with my skill level and, and my ceiling, as far as where it was, that if I was going to play in the league, that I had to adapt and, and add that to my game. And I was willing to do it. And I don't think that there's a lot of guys out there who had, I guess, enough skill to make it to where adding that would have put them over the edge in order to solidify themselves to at least have somewhat of a decent career. And I was just willing to do that. I wanted to experience the NHL. I was actually a defenseman before I, I got to the NHL. I, I, you know, I, I played under 18 for team Canada. I played, um, in the OHL. All- yeah.
0: You were on that team with like a hell of a lineup too, huh?
1: Unbelievable.
0: What a, what a time God. I, I miss like being able to watch those games so much more easily. Like the world juniors at like Christmas and all that's the best, but yeah, you guys had a stacked year.
1: Yeah, so I, I was, unfortunately, I didn't make the World Juniors, but the under-18 team I played with, majority of those guys went on to help Canada win gold at the World Juniors. But uh, yeah, it just, it wasn't in the cards. And, you know, at a certain point, what happens is some guys get a little bit stubborn in what they think they are as a player to where they keep getting traded around to where it's like, well, if you don't want to adapt and change some style of your play, the world-class skill in the in the room for the, in the top six These guys are, have so much God given talent and and they also have the work ethic and they have, they have it all. And if you're unable to adapt and and start working on these other skills, whether it be you become a good penalty killer and shot blocker and good on face-offs or become very reliable defensively, if you want, if certain guys are going to stay stubborn and they didn't end up playing a game in the NHL, Hey, all the power to them. I just knew that the writing was on the wall and that was pretty much the only way that I was going to get there. And yeah, it had its consequences, but you know, it, it's all over now. And I'm, I'm grateful that I decided to do it.
0: What do you mean of the consequences?
1: I would say that at the age I was at and given maybe the stresses of, of, and not really understanding it at the time, it was more of a like, yes, I have to do this. Cause I'm so hyper focused on wanting to get to the NHL. Um, just maybe because of the, some, a lot of the stress involved in it. Like abusing alcohol, doing drugs, getting sucked into this certain lifestyle that, you know, I look back on and I don't regret it. I, it was more like my lifestyle was not being managed properly. Am I blaming the fighting for that? No, I just think that I know the emotions and feelings that it was causing and, and, and I gravitated to certain things in order to mask that.
0: Do you still dabble in the marijuanas or I read something about you microdosing mushrooms or something, or these things that you're into?
1: I, uh, I smoke cannabis quite a bit. It just, you know, it helps me get creative. Cause I do get to live in this creative world now. Like I do, I've done like silly commercials and I, and I put myself out there maybe more than other people. And, and, you know, sometimes it, You know, some of these ideas that I do think of stem from, you know, ripping a joint and just sitting around being like, hey, wouldn't it be stupid to do this? Yeah, I think that'd be funny. Okay, let's go do it. Let's execute it. So there's this big argument as to the, well, some of it's scientifically backed as far as the consequences from head trauma. I would push back on some of the ideologies of it and the fact that I feel that maybe the things that I was masking, whatever I was going through with have caused just as much, if not more you know, alcohol, like dehydrating your brain as much as we were. We were binge drinking like 30 drinks in a day, getting up and and, and also with drugs involved and then doing that for four straight days on this bender.
0: You don't even think about it at the time. And then you're, yeah, you're, you're used to feeling like shit at that point.
1: We talked about it earlier, how these wrestlers would do it. So same idea, abusing your body and instead of getting massage and treating it and eating healthy the right way, you're like, Oh, I'll go get banged up. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, it won't hurt as much cause I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll be completely distracted from it. So I just found that, that, uh, you know, some days I wake up n- not feeling so great and, and groggy and, and the mind's not there and, and micro dosing and taking mushrooms puts me in a little bit of a happier place.
0: I've always been very curious by that. I mean, I have other friends that do that. Like, how does that, like when you say microdosing, and I am like such a like newbie, I don't know anything about it. Is it just a smaller amount? That's all it means.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to see midgets jumping out of trees and, and you know walking around town like, ah, what the hell? Go the four dragon? What the fuck? No, it's 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 a. Uh, you get a sense of of being a little bit more happy. In my case, that's my experience with it, and that's what I tell anybody who. I'll I'll describe you know what the feelings i i had going into it what how it made me feel and and that might vary some people hate it they hate the way they feel when their body goes somewhere else or their mind goes somewhere else but for me doing small amounts of it what's the saying nowadays it's like i woke up and chose anger i woke up and chose peace i i just tend to to be happier when i when i'm on it
0: do you have like a social anxiety or anything like that that those kind of help you to open up and be a little more
1: smoking they- weed helps me in public big time Surprisingly,
0: people expect a certain thing from you at this point as well. So that's got to be a lot of pressure.
1: Yeah. The last thing I would want to do and, and remember, like we got a podcast and, and maybe I'm a little bit more recognized in Canada now. Like I'm not like I'm not a celebrity by any means but anytime somebody comes up, you want their experience to be as, as good as maybe they'd hoped going in. And sometimes maybe you're just, you know, you're, you're in your own head and you're, and you, and you're completely distracted by something that you're going through in your own personal life. And you maybe don't have that energy to give someone, but Going into social settings, surprisingly, cannabis helps me. It just helps me be sillier and, and, and interact better with them. But yes, I do suffer from a bit of, of social anxiety. I think it's so bizarre because I just want to live on my podcast and, and tell all these like weird stories and do all this stuff. But I also just want to like walk around and like I'm a nobody.
0: We talked earlier about social media. You've had to like delete your Twitter account. You've done it multiple times. You've been very successful on social media, but I believe that there's some kind of story about playing in Winnipeg and some kind of tweeting about water or something. What happened?
1: Of course. So when I originally told my agent, told me to delete my Twitter account, he said nothing good could come of it. The team was getting emails from fans saying, why are you censoring this guy? And they assumed that the team had me delete it. Well, they reached out and they're like, are you telling people this? I said, no, my agent wanted me to do it. So finally I ended up hopping back on Twitter and Instagram. But with that, they said, we want to monitor it. I must've got called in five or six times by the general manager or the team PR guy being like, Hey, what's this? And in one of the cases, we got to Winnipeg and we were staying at the Fairmont and they had a, a eight or $9 bottle of Fiji water in the room. And you know, it's like they're gouging you at that point. I know this thing didn't cost nine bucks. Come on. So I t- posted a picture of it on Instagram and I was like, I, I think like I wrote uh, fuck off Fairmont and I tagged Fairmont. <laughs> so the next morning, all good, go to the rink, you know, big game tonight back in Winnipeg. Cause that's where the team ended up coming from. I get the word that I'm not playing. So I get skated afterward, but I do notice that I'm getting skated a little bit harder. And, it, and I did notice that the coach came out afterward to talk to our assistant. And that's why I got skated harder than normal. So after we got, I got done my bag skate, the coach, the assistant goes, Hey, tip wants to see you. So right away, my heart goes from here to in my gut. So I get in the coach's office and there's smoke coming out of his ears and he goes, sit down. And he's like, what the f- is this? And I look at the monitor and it's the bottom of Fiji and he goes, the Fairmont is threatening us to kick us out of the hotel on the day of the game because you're, you're, you're going at them online here. So not only am I a completely useless player, I'm not even playing in the game that day and I'm jeopardizing my team getting a pregame nap day of the game because I wanted to spout off on social media the day before.
0: Off with that expensive ass Fiji water. Give us a break.
1: I'm a man of the people and that's why I said it. Okay, Renee?
0: You are the voice of the voiceless.
1: But at the end of the day, I probably shouldn't have done it. And it was just another example of me uh, getting ahead of my skis in the social media world. I'll give you one other quick one. So I ended up going to Vegas for one of the all-star breaks. One of my teammates at the time, this is just past new year. He'd sent me like a meme and it was happy new year and cocaine lines and and somebody snorting it. And it was just like, oh, you know, ha So. I was running around Vegas and this is, I think in the midst of when all this Charlie Sheen stuff became a thing and I had a Blackberry at the time and I didn't lock my screen and somehow it had opened up my Twitter and went to that picture and it just kept reposting the picture. What? I get a phone call from our PR guy being like, like what is going on? Obviously I didn't mean to post it and would have never posted that but fortunately enough it had posted it so many times where everybody was like oh obviously he got hacked
0: thank god
1: ran with that ended up you know logging in deleting all the all the photos or whatever like because because at, at that point I was having a hard time deleting all the photos on my blackberry it wasn't deleting so i had to go to a computer at the hotel log in delete all that and and those were just the silly stupid things along the way that I find myself in, the, in these crazy situations but the needle has definitely moved and I've far more tame now on social media than I was before.
0: Well, you're a businessman. You've got, you've got shit to do and you've got big companies that you're working with. So it all makes sense. Um, And one last question before I let you go, I've been kind of tipped off that you used to watch uh, old wrestling matches with Shane Doan and Keith Yandel. Was this like prepping for fights and all that?
1: Keith Yandel, Jason LaBarbera and Shane Doan, who were big wrestling fans. And there were, there were a few others on the team and uh, it was actually LaBarbera and Yandel who sat in front of me and they would watch all the old WrestleManias. And even though they knew the results, Jason LaBarbera is one of the, like like, a hardcore wrestling fan. I'll
0: have to get him on the show.
1: Oh, he would be able to talk wrestling (laughs) until he's blue in the face. And, (laughs) and even to the point where that season they got the fine fund together of the team and they ended up buying a, a actual championship belt. And I believe from the guy who actually makes them for the WWE. Oh, hell yeah. In order to hand out our player, the game, the belt costs like five grand to make.
0: Those things are no joke. They're heavy too.
1: We started presenting our player, the game with a, with an Arizona coyotes championship belt. And, and that just stemmed from, from the, the, the love for, for old school wrestling. Now, I paid attention to the Stone Cold era, to the Mankind era, of course, Undertaker, Ric Flair. I, I, I went to one wrestling event when I was playing in, in Wheeling, West Virginia, and Ric Flair was at it. And I think Tatanka even came out of retirement for that specific show. I love the, the age of, of the, the, the Stone Cold Steve Austin. What was it called? The Attitude Era? The Attitude Era, yeah. Yeah. And it went on this Pretty wild twenty-year run, I would say. NWO. I was so, I was so invested into it just because of the personalities, and uh, and yeah, that's that kind of started my love for wrestling, and and it continued into the NHL days, having to watch the the monitor off these guys ahead of me going nuts to all these old school matches.
0: I love it. Okay. Well, listen, when you guys are out here in May, I'm going to swing down. We're going to have a hang. I cannot wait. Actually, that's like just around the corner. Shit. It's already almost May. Wow.
1: Do you think your husband would, would give us a, um, a, a training in wrestling where you could also be on the sideline, maybe interviewing the guys while he's slamming me through the mat?
0: I can be his Miss Elizabeth and I'll let him do his thing.
1: You'll come out with him with with the outfit on and
0: I'll get like the long gloves on, the like poofy dress. Yeah, if we can get him to come down and uh teach you guys some wrestling, you guys teach him some hockey stuff. I feel like it'd be a match made in heaven.
1: We'll we'll, we'll let him give me the bare hand slap on the chest
0: dude i don't think you want one of those those are gnarly that chop
1: i I saw a picture of him he looks like a beast
0: he is he yeah he's a wild man
1: we'll have him do a bare hand (laughs) slap on my chest (laughs) i'll give it i'll give it to him
0: gotta get that content out there there's that word again that's what i'm saying that, that buzzworthy content all right listen thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it it was a lot of fun getting to hang out with you my first hockey player here on the podcast Good to see you're doing so well, bud.
1: Hey, congrats on all your success as well. Keep it going. And, and you know, it's an honor coming on. I was, I was pretty pumped when, when Jeff, my, uh, my manager, reached out that you wanted me on. So an honor to be the first hockey player too. You picked the biggest fourth line plug <laughs> of, of, of all time. Not, not any superstar.
0: I knew that I would get you to talk and that it would be a fun conversation. So now I can, now I can like branch out and get some other hockey players on the show too. Awesome. Well, look, I'm going to see you here in May. Come on out. We'll get some stuff going for the Golden Knights. We've got AHL here, all of the hockey out here in the desert. Cannot wait.
1: Hey, I'll see if I can repay the favor by getting you uh, some tickets and maybe we can all go watch together.
0: Let's do that. They have Or put-
1: scalp them and, and, and retire.
0: And they have, um, they've got poutine in the foyer so we can get poutine and Canadian it up. Ooh,
1: they think of everything at that arena.
0: I was so pumped when I found that out. Oh my God.
1: Maybe, maybe we could even do the sword fight at the beginning <laughs> on the ice. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh my God. That would be amazing. I would love that. Actually one quick story. My husband and I, we did get to go out and they had us ride the Zamboni between periods. And we're like, oh my God, this will be so cool. I didn't realize how fucking long it
1: was. Oh, it's a long ride.
0: You're like not allowed to wave the towel. So I didn't know what to do. And I started waving it. They're like, stop waving the towel. Cause if it goes under the Zamboni, it like jacks it up it was a terrifying. It, I felt yeah, like I you're, was just you're adrenaline so
1: high. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be on this thing. And people are going to be staring, <laughs> staring at me for another 10 at, minutes. Like,
0: Cause everyone goes up for, like during the uh, intermission to go get their drinks. There's like nobody in the stands. I'm just like staring at empty seats, like a loser. They, oh they my God. Playing, all by
1: myself. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I don't want to be. Well, listen, yes. thank you again for having me on. And, uh, and, and like I said, best of luck with everything. And I'm looking forward to getting slammed through the mat in May.
0: Thanks dude. Have a good one. Big thank you to Paul bissonette for hanging out with me on this episode. He's a fun dude. I want to hang out next time that they come through here. He said that they're going to bring Spit and Chiclets here to Las Vegas. I want to go hang out. I want to be on their podcast. I want to talk a little puck with these guys, and I feel like I want to like learn from them. I think like they've really navigated this world very impressively. So maybe they'll let me come and hang out. I don't know. Was it a real offer? Did it seem like it was a real offer? Was it empty? We'll find out. We'll see if he hits me up when they come through. I'll let you guys know. Fingers crossed. Tag him. Let him know. Make him invite me. Um, All right. You guys know what to do here. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. You can follow The Volume at The Volume Sports on Instagram and Twitter. We both have YouTube pages. If you guys want to watch some of the content, you can see these actual interviews because we're on Zoom. That's the life that we're living in here. The Zoom hangs. Um, So you can find my YouTube just under my name, Renee Paquette, and same with uh, the volume. So you can give those follows, likes, subscribes, notifications on, all of those good things. Uh, And this has been another episode of Oral Sessions. See you guys next time.